Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Monica Smith, who has been on the front line of Australia's fight for freedom since August 2020. Smith founded the organization Reignite Democracy Australia, whose mission, as stated on its website, is, quote, to empower and unite Australians in actively maintaining our individual and collective liberty, end quote. Recently, Smith has been recognized as Australia's first political prisoner, having been charged with incitement for encouraging fellow Australians to stand up for their human rights, after which she spent 22 days in solitary confinement for refusing to sign draconian bail conditions. The conditions were appealed and revoked. She is now free to continue her work, but she is still facing criminal charges for her human rights activism. Smith is now working with internationally respected experts and organizations to form a new global platform, Reignite World Freedom, designed to push back against the globalist agenda. I welcome Monica Smith to Savage Minds. I've had on the show two of the three creators of the Great Barrington Declaration, who early days were saying that lockdown was not the way to go. You, Monica, were arrested for encouraging people to exercise their human right to protest. You were then given these incredibly draconian bail conditions, which you refused to sign. And as a result, you spent 22 days in solitary confinement in a maximum security prison. It sounds like we're not talking about Australia, but some other country, if you catch my drift. Oh yeah, I mean, this, this would, would be happening in places like China for, for other reasons, for sure. Uh, that's why so many Australians were so, you know, appalled by the the uh, the way that the police treated us and, and the way that I, I was treated. So yeah, it's uh, it's really surreal and it's still hard to comprehend how they treated me and others like me. When I saw you speaking about the personal search that was done on you to go into prison, it made me a little sick. Like what I want to, I'm sorry, my daughter started a swear jar recently. This subject drives me to saying really bad words, but WTAF is going on in a country that should not be doing this. You are not a suspected suicide bomber. You are not going to rob people with a machine gun. Why, why on earth were you even given that kind of search? Um, I guess uh, the government here is really afraid of organized pushback and they were probably trying to make an example out of me. It probably had the opposite effect because it actually empowered a lot of people to stand up in their own lives uh, for different reasons. So yeah, I really think they just wanted to end my organization because we're actually quite effective here in Australia and uh, they don't like that. So they, they did use the full heavy hand of the law to treat me like a full-blown criminal, like I was a mass murderer or, some, or, or a rapist or something like that. Even my lawyers said they had not seen bail conditions like that for even armed robberies and, and you know, uh, assaults and things like that. So, you know, it's anyone's guess as to exactly why they treated me like that. But it does seem that it was very politically charged and they just wanted to make an example of me and shut me up, basically. Well, seriously, let's go back to who you are, because this is the thing. I just got off an interview with Topher, mm -hmm. and I've interviewed George Christensen. He told me something really interesting the other day. He said, you know, I found myself shoulder to shoulder with people who months before would have been protesting something I was against. And this is the line. This is the line that so many people, I'm from the left. I'm embarrassed by my 
former leftist colleagues. I don't know if they're no longer leftists or if Fox News has gone full on communist, but when we cannot see that economy does not mean being Bill Gates, it means trying to survive and eat, not having to look for pennies in your sofa. These people who were of the pajama class shutting down with their cheering on, clapping for our NHS workers in the UK, these theaters that were set up everywhere to get everyone to STFU. Meanwhile, the people suffering from lockdown were the most disenfranchised. So I saw more people from the right with a consciousness in the last two and a half years. I, I'm shocked to say that the left disappeared. The left has zero vested interest in defending the most vulnerable of our populations, of making sure that people, not only you know liberty and freedom, it's not about going out to a disco, we're talking about the right to leave your house without printing out papers that every day in this country for several weeks changed, changed. I had to run back in one day to print out another one because I found out the one I had was from a few days before. Where in the hell were the, the consciousnesses of so many on the left who claim to be pro-working class for the rights of the most oppressed. The most oppressed were everyone who couldn't work from their posh pajamas ordering Deliveroo. Well, just like so many movements in the past, like the feminist movement, the pride movement, uh, there's always an element where they actually get what they want, but there's there's a group of them that continue fighting for, for something else. And I think the left have definitely got a huge faction of people that actually aren't fighting for the rights of people anymore. They're fighting for the rights of the government or, or tyranny. I'm not really sure, but also, you know, the, we were, people like me were so heavily vilified in the media and anyone who was just even questioning anything was absolutely demonized on every street corner, every neighborhood and, and all over the television. So even if there were lefties who did think that there was human rights being violated, obviously there were, I think they were scared of being labeled one of us because we were just so heavily trolled. So um, they may have thought that uh, they were on the wrong side uh, quite a few times during the last two and a half years, but they were just really scared of being labeled an anti-vaxxer or uh, a, um, a neo-Nazi or something like that. So the media obviously cleverly uh, have made people who fight for human rights to be uh, far right extremists, which in fact, we're actually doing the work of what the left used to do. Um, and so it's, it's a really, it's such a muddy, yep. muddy area, isn't it? But, you know, we've def like yourself, we've definitely gotten quite a few people from the left who now align more so with the, uh, you know, moderate right, you know, um, and, and we, we align with, what the left actually was first trying to establish, which was human rights. But now it's just, uh, it's gone all, all wishy-washy, hasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. I am constantly pinching myself. Look, I've been for, I'm a former academic. I still do academic writing, but I turned journalist at some point around the Haitian earthquake of 2010. And I saw a lot of doublespeak within academia around the gender discourse that no men don't have vaginas, no uh, women don't have penises. I mean, can you believe I've spent a good part of the last 10 years having to cover stories where you have a very well-funded lobby of trans activists 
not only making that point, but having been able to eke its way into public policy and law in the UK through the back doors of lobby organizations like Stonewall. Stonewall, which heretofore was supposed to protect the rights of lesbians and men, now advancing the most homophobic of narratives. And that homophobic narrative goes like this. Monica, you like playing with toys? You're wearing trousers? You must be a man. Now, I mention this lobby because it is replete with non-science. It is the most hokum-filled narrative out there. And it has never been based in science, just as you have some outspoken therapists and psychiatrists discussing the dangers of big pharma. But what we've seen during lockdown has been the occlusion of scientific evidence on the heels of governments being able to claim the science, follow the science. We were all given this bizarre image of Dr. Fauci as somehow this 1984 character that we were supposed to follow into the battlefield of COVID. And like many people, because when I saw Topher's film, I was like, oh my God, he's telling my story here. Because I too was 23 February. We went to bring our kids to school. The schools were shut down. It was like, what? I don't own a TV. So I found out by being at the school gate. It's not like I found out because I watched television and was alarmed about this the day before. So there was like, oh my God, my reaction, we must be in a really bad way. And this must be a serious virus. Skip to a few weeks later. And I was like, wait a sec. The upstairs elderly neighbors are having nightly parties. There's something going on here where the science that they're claiming to follow is not being followed by the very people who are supposed to be the most stricken by this virus. So that was my first step. Aside from the fact of we were all locked down in a horrific way. We had just moved into a flat the month before to a new country where suddenly my wife couldn't look for work anymore. I had to somehow live off of nothing because my work as a journalist was cut short. Many journals folded. One of the journals that I used to write for folded, a Los Angeles-based publication. I had all these commissions disappeared. My work doing copywriting disappeared. A lot of work that kept freelancers in this business of media alive disappeared. So all of a sudden, we were expected to lockstep with a narrative that the science never was made visible. We were just supposed to be like trusting these governments, especially the governments here, which in Italy change as much as one can change one's underwear. And you're supposed to trust these people saying, we've got your back. But what did I hear, Monica, in the first weeks of lockdown? I kid you not, these were the reports. People are very concerned as to when football will resume. People are very concerned about getting to their second homes. I kid you not, I wanted to strangle people with second homes because I just kept thinking, how on earth is this a priority? Wouldn't you think in a real pandemic, those wouldn't even be mentioned? Add to that, Pornhub, a Canadian company, gave free subscriptions to Italian men, okay? This is what we were living through. And Ooh, women, but the ones, oh yeah. And women, oh. I've written loads about this. Women were shouldered with the burden, as I say, of having to, reinvent time. We were given the Einsteinian time-space continuum where we had to figure out how to make 24 hours magically 48 because it wasn't like I had to stop looking for work and working on what little work remained. I had to do the homeschooling, uh, my wife as well, but it was just a nightmare of 
we had to fill out forms to go shopping. You know, like when you start to think about this, it's it cut and paste to another era if you catch my drift. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just shocking. I can't believe that Pornhub did that. And it makes a, a, makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, the, the science, it's become some sort of weird religion to, to these uh, COVID believers, I guess you could say. And they're fixated on it. And, you know, some people actually enjoy the structure and the tyranny, actually. Um, maybe they didn't have enough structure in their, in their life um, growing up or something like that. And they actually feel safe and comfortable with the masks and the lockdowns and the and this and that and the other probably they have a stay-at-home job so it doesn't affect them as much but I feel like society especially now especially in Australia anyway is that we're, we're all kind of quite selfish so as long as we have enough food and we have enough shelter and things like that we don't really think about others unless it really slaps us in the face with a friend or a family member um so it, it, that's that's why it was so easy to scare people because um, they were willing to give up their freedoms just to keep whatever luxuries they had and they didn't really care about everyone else and that's why our movements were so vilified because uh you know they made it out like we were stopping them from getting back to that life or doing this and and you know and how how dare we fight for our freedoms you know little do they know that we're fighting for their freedoms as well um but yeah it's 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 been really interesting to see people fold under the tyranny and um it was a bit of a test, you know, and I think for the most part, besides these groups that have formed, which are very, very powerful, but besides that, we actually failed as, as a, as a whole in um, just like, just like bending over to tyranny, basically. Yes. And I think there was a failure on massive levels and I'm speaking of not just public health, but we'll get there too. I'm talking about I'll, I'll step to the UK where a couple years ago, the government formed a ministry of loneliness. The government was concerned about the growing numbers of people, elderly a lot, living alone and having no human contact. And I found that quite ironic during lockdown, thinking, is this the same government that was concerned about loneliness and has now cut everyone off? Because while I was in the throes of dealing with the hardships of having been newly married, awful, awful situation, because whenever you marry and your kids have to adjust to a new parent, that has its own growing pains. Add to that lockdown. Add to that worrying about economic survivability in a country that says, well, you're eligible for nothing because you didn't make your earnings in 2019 here. And add to that the fact that the left is gone to speak about this, the right emerges, and then you get people on your Facebook page saying, you sound like a right-wing Christian. And I said, first of all, what's wrong with being a Christian? And second, what's wrong with being right-wing? Especially given that those are the two groups speaking out. And you're coming on here to tell me, and I quote one person, they said, well, last month you came on here warning us about the virus. And I said, yes, I did because I am a human. I take in information. And when I took in that information in February, I believe that information. And I'm telling you now that that information was largely exaggerated and that we have been propagandize and I'm coming out to say that I am unpropagandizing what I stated before because I'm a sentient human who thinks and reacts to new information. Do you do this as well? I think a lot of what happened during lockdown was this capturing of fear that the people who were most likely to be propagandized because propaganda in this 
particular instance, worked upon dying, granny dying, your friends and family who had COVID, so you can't talk about it in a, in a suspicious way, lockdown, otherwise you're denying the person who says they're suffering from long COVID. And don't even get me started about the propagandization of long COVID. The way that was pushed, you see, it was all pushed and pushed and pushed, even though the ratio of people suffering and dying from COVID was one to a thousand of the elderly. And death was obviously, you know, 0.15 out of, you know, and then there's the, all the PCR tests, if they're even accurate. And I mean, and, and people were obviously being put down as COVID deaths. Like we had one person in Australia that got shot and he happened to test positive for COVID. So they put COVID as his cause of death. I mean, you know, so you can't really, even the statistics aren't real. So it's really hard to know. And, and this is a, this is controversial that I'm going to say this, but I've said it before and I'll say it again. If, if my grandma was 90 years old and she contracted COVID and died from it, I know for a fact that she would say, you know what, I've lived my life. And this is just what got me out the door. Um, but I don't want my grandchildren to be locked down on my behalf either. So, you know, it's like, you know, it, it's very strange to be sacrificing the mental health of young people um, to save um, the elderly. Now, I'm not saying elderly lives don't matter. I'm not saying that. But I am just saying there is a difference between a 20-year-old and a 90-year-old. It's just statistics. There's a difference with how much time they have left and how much impact they can have on the world. So it's like a battlefield when a king is taking that he sacrifices men to save women and children in, in the, at home. You know, sometimes you have to make difficult decisions to for the better of the majority, you know. So I think the elderly should have you know, taken precautions, they should have, should have, they should have locked down probably to, to the most extent, but you know, a lot of people, a lot of elderly died from loneliness. And even if you asked that, no one actually did a survey on the elderly. Do you want to lock down to, to have an, an extra three years of your life inside this room alone? Or do you want the freedom to see your family and you could potentially get COVID and die earlier? I wonder, I reckon most elderly would prefer to see their family and die that way than to die alone because of a virus that could potentially kill them. So I really think we did not actually take into account what the elderly actually wanted either. So that's a bit of a mouthful, but that's, that's how, that's where I stand on that. Well, Neil, you're absolutely right. Because when I was working on a story about the teachers here in Italy pushing back, I spoke to one who said, look, my father is in his nineties and he doesn't support this. Yet you will never see any representation of his voice, and he's not alone. A lot of people who are elderly regard this as a violation of basic human rights. They do not want their children or grandchildren having long-term psychological effects from this. Not to mention, yeah, Monica, are you aware? I just spoke with Topher about this, but there's a 20% excess death in Australia. It's 16% in the UK unknown so far as to why these excess deaths have occurred. But some people, many people, scientists included, are saying that this is very likely a fallout of the many millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people who did not get necessary screenings for basic preventable cancers, okay? So we're dealing with a fallout that is now evidencing that many people 
and again, we don't have the information yet, but many people have died. We don't know why, because a very tiny percentage of these excess deaths has anything to do with COVID, like directly, there's no positive COVID test. So we're living in this very strange moment where two and a half plus years after the initial lockdowns, where people were made to think that their governments were telling them the truth. Why on earth would anyone think that cracking a history book? But anyways, we are seeing where the likes of you and Topher, other journalists in Australia, have been served papers, have been arrested, have been threatened with their ability to practice their livelihoods in some cases. Nurses and doctors who are losing their jobs in the UK, in the US. I spoke to a professor recently who's about to lose his job in New York City for not taking the jab. They have a nice way of saying the jab, but it's not even a proper vaccine by all standards. And Topher was telling me the recent report that in Australia, there have been all sorts of deaths related to, in eight weeks, the data showing 798 deaths of people who had the COVID vaccine, but dying with COVID. This is nuts. And all but two were vaccinated. All but two had two or more vaccines. So those two, he, he explained to me, might have had one vaccine, but we don't know. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what about sudden adult death syndrome? I mean, that's only hit the headlines in the last few months. Um, you know, these sports stars just dropping dead because I, I believe that with the mRNA, if you are, you know, overly, um, if you exercise a lot or things like that, it can really bring on heart conditions from from the vaccine. I mean, that's what that's what I've heard and that's what I've read. Um, and it, but never before have I just seen countless sports stars just collapsing on the field i mean they, these are the healthiest most uh fit people like on the planet basically um so i i hope people are joining the dots and i i don't like the fact that that we were right about some of these things i wish that we had been wrong uh the entire time i, I wish that they really were protecting people from from disease and and hospitalization and things like that but it just doesn't seem the case I just watched a video today. I mean, all these characters like Fauci, Bill Gates, Biden, Daniel Andrews, they, they all said, oh, it's going to stop hospitalization. It's going to stop you from getting COVID. And they all got COVID recently. And so it's like everything that the, the, the marketing that they were using is just like, if I had, if I was them and I'd gotten COVID, I would have kept that quiet because it doesn't look good um, when you're saying it's going to stop this thing. And then it, but you know, people just aren't connecting the dots because to be honest, the reason why people don't wake up is because it's really hard to wake up because once you realize that one thing is a lie, you then go down this rabbit hole, don't you? And you have to then look into everything and then you start to not trust anyone. And you live in this constant state of nothing is true everyone's lying to me and then you have to go through that process it can take months to come back the come out the other side and realize that you've got to live with the information that you know and just tread carefully from now on so these people they're living they want to continue trusting their government because then their world doesn't have to change too much and they don't have to really research or contemplate things too much so i understand why people are staying asleep i mean ignorance is bliss isn't that what they say it's true it is bliss um because once you know this stuff you can't unknow it and it's really hard to get through that on the other side and live with all that new information so um i understand why people still believe the government but you know unfortunately 
the only way for some of these people to quote unquote wake up is for them to feel more pain, unfortunately, which no one wants for anyone. Um, and no one wants anyone to see their family or friends go through um, adverse reactions or, or life uh, loss of livelihoods and things like that. But unfortunately, that is that is how people are going to wake up. If they haven't woken up in the last two and a half years, they're going to need a, a massive trauma to, to wake up. So I don't, I don't wish that upon anyone. In fact, I, I'm, I'm more concerned about the emotional turmoil that will come from this when it, when it is all very obvious and no one can deny the lies that have happened. These people are going to go through an emotional roller coaster, and I feel really sorry for them, having taken the experiments and having done everything that they were supposed to and, and mocking people like us and me on TV and being happy that we're in prison or happy that we're arrested and things. They're going to feel really terrible, and I, I really hope that uh, we're there for them when they do realize um, because it's going to be really hard for them. <laughs> well, you've just described quite well this gamut of issues, emotions and fall fallout. The paradox is this, as I was being called a right wing Christian, I was compared to Hitler. I'm sure you've been compared to Hitler. Hitler's that go to person. <laughs> no one ever talks about him being a good artist, of course, and uh, or a bad artist. But the thing is this, these tropes are very problematic for obvious reasons. We tend to see power that's done in a suit and tie with a smiley talking head on TV as okay. And then of course, we're told that these you know, despots in X country, that somehow they're always shown with military in the background. They never show them when they're wearing their, their suit and tie. You know, Gaddafi had a suit and tie. Um, many, many people had suit and ties that somehow were only shown in certain ways. This has been entirely stylized in a way as to cast suspicion on people not following through. Well, let's go to the 1950s when you see protests against segregation. The way documentaries are made will show the KKK and their, their freaky little pointy hats and their bonfires. And they will show the peaceful demonstrators of Birmingham. And it will be very a loving march. When we are shown images of people who took to the streets in Rome, who took to the streets there in Melbourne, that is not what was shown. And it was very similar to outrageous mobs, like on the 6th January riots in Washington, were shown only what happened in the Capitol. We're not shown the tens of thousands of peaceful protesters outside, nor did any media cover why the tens of thousands of protesters were outside. And I'm very suspicious about the way in which media has gone into bed full on with government. It's almost as if now we can no longer speak of media as separate, but media has become the government's Politburo. And I mean, media, Yes, I include, unfortunately, even the New York Times in this. These organizations have been very guilty of consciously alighting the news in ways that will not result in people obeying mandates. I give you many examples because as a journalist, I've had pitches sent back to me saying, we can't run a story about the mental health fallout because it will look like we're against lockdown. And I push back. I would write that editor and say, but why is running a piece about this at all akin to looking like you don't support lockdown, for instance? Second, I would ask, why aren't you running stories about the problems of lockdown? Because as you know, these same editors, I've pitched you pieces about the problems of lockdown and you refuse also to run them. 
You as an editor can be pro lockdown, but as an editor, you should be running stories that question that and they're not doing it. No, I, I don't know what kind of hold they have on all these journalists. Um, you know, there must be some sort of system that they've used to coerce them into all running the same stories. <laughs> I, it, but again, the emotional turmoil that they will go through and probably they are already going through. I mean, real journalists would be seeing what's going on. They, they would be like, wait, why didn't, like you, why didn't that story go through? It was well-written, it was well-resourced and researched and it makes sense and it's just questioning things. It's not making illusions. It's just just questioning the, the narratives of anything. I mean, that, that's what we're supposed to do. As a, That's a, such a great thing for humanity to do is to question things and talk about things. Even if you're crazy or you're, even if you're making crazy Ask sorry, even if you're asking crazy questions, those questions are still valid to be asking. Um, and I'm sure what you were writing was not crazy um, and made complete sense. And look, two and a half years later, all the things that we were talking about, the emotional um, distress and 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 the all the all the trauma with children not going to school, it's all coming true. Um, so you know, you'd think there'd be this big public apology like we're sorry for vilifying all the freedom protesters you know but that's not that's not going to happen obviously but um i know for a fact there are a few good journalists here in australia that do toe the line a little bit um, but a lot of them just want to keep their jobs and that comes back to the selfish element of the new humans we're just really um selfish and we just want to keep our keep our lives the way they are so um but they'll have to deal with that themselves i believe in karma um good and bad karma and um they're going to have to deal with what they've done at some point and um, I'll be here to help them if I possibly can. But, you know, that's that's on them, unfortunately. At some point they made a decision to keep their job over telling the truth and, and that's, that's going to wear them down, unfortunately. You're listening to Savage Minds and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. Your premier, Daniel Andrews, he could write a book on Machiavelli politics part two. The way he was able to successfully pit people against each other Mm -hmm. was pretty unprecedented in my view. Yeah. The tactics of kettling, we saw that for many years since, especially the last war in Afghanistan and Iraq, those tactics were used in New York City to the astonishment of civil liberties organizations that spoke out. Yet, those same civil liberty organizations like the ACLU in the U.S. has been silent about the treatment of protesters. You on the streets in Australia were treated like persona non grata by the media. It was a foregone conclusion that you were wrong and that all these other people were protecting the public health service of Australia, right? Yes. While kettling us into a group of people, like while kettling us closer to each other, if it was really about disease um, transmission, do you think that they would have been putting us in a small group and then surrounding us? It's crazy. And your protest was about raising consciousness about the democratic right to protest. What a coincidence. What an irony. I know being on, yeah, being on the streets here, just to let your audience know, like it was like being in a video game of some sort, you know, there was, there was tactics on how to avoid the police. And um, then when we would disperse, they would, they would follow a few groups around the city and, and try and catch them. And it was like, it was like being in a video game in somehow it was exhilarating to some weird extent, but then when you would go home and then you would realize that you've just seen 
your fellow Australians, police officers shooting rubber bullets, which by the way, at close, at close proximity, they can kill very like 8% of people will die if they're shot in close proximity. Literally it's a higher death rate than COVID itself. And they were shooting those into peaceful protesters and even um, encouraging them to not be peaceful by mouthing off. The, some of the police officers were mouthing off to protesters to try and entice them to get violent and stuff like that. So seeing all that, it changes it changes a person. It's changed me for probably ever, um, you know, to see Australians do that to each other and then justify it um, based on a, on, a, on a virus. And again, these police are going to really struggle to move on when they realize and I will say that obviously not all the police are bad some of them did just try to stand in the background and they didn't really get involved in those types of altercations but some police officers they loved it they loved the control you know and um, I hear that in the background before a protest they would get the police would get riled up like you would see in some sort of um rugby movie or something you know in the locker rooms before the protest they would be like these protesters are stopping us stopping your children from going to school and they're killing your grandma and they're, they're the enemy basically and so these police would come out with like red in their eyes um not all of them but and then I've, I've seen police crying because they they they're like they're kettling this old woman and she needs to go to the toilet and they they're not letting her out of the kettle um, for four hours in the blistering heat, she needs to go to the toilet. She's 65 years old and they're not letting her out. And the other police are just like, what is going on? I didn't sign up to be a policeman for this. Um, you know, it was just horrific. Yes, I saw in Topher's film the number of police officers who resigned over this. Mm. And, and good on them. But there's a larger ethical dimension here because that scene in his film where the police are saying, we hear you, my wife, she's also disenfranchised from her work and it's really hard, I get you. And the guy was like, but you're, you're working, you're getting a salary, I'm not. And so Andrews was able to pit people against each other where one is doing his job to keep the other from not doing his job. Mm. Phenomenal. And he's a clever guy. Yeah, the reality is that all of us affected by this, whether highly educated or not, the people pushing back recognize that link between what we were being told. And this was it. This was happening everywhere in the West. Basically, if you were saying, but I can't survive, I need to work to survive. The translation on CNN was right wing capitalists worried about money, about 401k or blue chip stock, right? Wow. It was never about working class. So I literally pinch myself. Even now, I have to tune into Fox News to find out about working class issues. As you mentioned earlier, this used to be the job of the left. The left has gone full on neoliberal and is the one part of the spectrum calling the shots, backing lockdown, telling people that if they don't back lockdown, that they have their priorities wrong, they need to get educated, read up on the science. But yet, where was Australia? Not only the premier of Victoria, but the prime minister actually revealing the data because this was something that even the great barrington declarants were questioning early on we're worried they said to me i've interviewed two on the show both martin kuldorf and jay Bhattacharya told me that the dangers to lockdown were already known if you look through history that the poor would be affected first of all well the left didn't give two squats about the poor and so the ostensible far right Christians, good on all of you. That's all I can say. And I tell you, I've drawn lines in the sand anew because where I can see my own 
wokery in my youth. I decry that now because the people that I stand with are the ones that can recognize that all of our human rights to speak matter. So where you were out there getting arrested and fighting, you were actually fighting for these morons who were unable to go on the streets and say that lesbians have penises. I'm thinking of my work on the trans agenda, but this is it. You had nobody worrying about freedom of thought or speech, because the one thing we know from the trans debate is this, is that the hurting of women and their voices around this issue of gender identity, and it's been only around women's bodies, because you don't see Cancer Research UK making the claim of people with prostates. It was only vagina havers, uterus havers, uh, menstruators, birthing people. These, were the, these are the words used in official documentation by major UK charities and government bodies. So when women push back on this, they knew why they were pushing back, because if you can convince people of certain types of language, you can control the way they think. Language is the externalization of our interior thoughts. Yeah. I mean, if you can convince someone of a very basic, unscientific conclusion that men can be women and women can be men if you can convince them of that and then scare them to question it then really COVID was easy I mean that they were already convincing people of non-facts um you know for, for decades at least so I think it was uh we were just really predispositioned dispositioned to actually fall for any narrative almost um they could probably get away with a lot <laughs> Uh, considering all the subliminal messaging that they've done and subliminal messaging is not some fancy slide that you have to put into a projector while someone's watching a movie no subliminal messaging is just the repetition of something over and over and over again until one day you wake up and you have this opinion about something and you don't know where the opinion came from it's only because it's being repeated to you over and over again so yeah i mean using language is is how without the mainstream media on board with this it would not have happened it could not have happened and of course they've been planning this for a long time so um they would have uh, made sure they had uh, board members on the right committees and you know and really if you think about it the whole mainstream media is really probably only controlled by a few key companies across the world so if you can get those key companies on your on your side well you're pretty much done it goes from the top down that way um and people who don't agree with the narrative they get fired and the other people see what's happening and they don't want to get fired so it's just all over so the gender narrative is surprisingly linked to the the human race's inability to critically think and then to then demonize people who are critically thinking even though it's like like facebook for example you won't get deleted off facebook Facebook for saying that a biological man can have children, right? That's fine. But you'll get banned for saying anything that could be potentially unscientific when it comes to COVID. But one is true <laughs> exactly. and one is not. So it just makes, and you know, the, 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 um, what's that Muslim organization called that, uh, yeah, that like some people get, get deleted off Twitter, like Donald Trump, but then you've got these terrorist organizations like Al Qaeda not being deleted off Twitter. So it's just, it's really strange, really strange. Well, that's it. I mean, what you said earlier is something that I've been saying for two and a half years. I said, well, they've prepared for lockdown. If you can convince a population that women have penises, everything's possible, really is. And I am so not a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, I mean, it's like, Gosh. you know, 
I've spoken to, there in Australia, I've spoken to women who've been fighting this fight, who have lost their jobs. They've lost their jobs because even working in an art store as a clerk, you can lose your job because this lobby is so vicious. They would go after someone who's working in what is effectively a minimum wage job. That, that's nasty. That's nasty. Now tell me a bit about yourself, Monica, before all of this kicked off. Who were you? What you, were you doing? Well, I, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a salesperson by trade, so I've done a lot of different things. Um, the, the last job I had was in real estate. But what really got me started on all of this is um, about three years before COVID hit, I actually went traveling on my own a lot um, all over, you know, Africa, South America, America, Canada, just Asia. And I put myself into really interesting situations to grow as a person. And it just made me um, more confident. Um, I picked up a camera. I started asking people questions and it all just kind of went from there. And I just had this feeling inside of me that I wanted to do something great with my life. Um, I didn't know what it looked like, but I kept searching for it. And I, and I most of the time believed that my feeling was true. Um, obviously there's a lot of doubt that comes in, like, who do you think you are? You can't change anything, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I pushed through those, um, sort of naysaying moments and, uh, tried to just find my place. I obviously didn't know that COVID was going to happen. I was going to find my place somehow or another, um, in being a, a public voice. And I, but I, I put a lot of work into growing, as a, as a human being before I was able to do any of this, you know, like people think, Oh, you know, you make this one video and you become a viral superstar. It doesn't often work like that. That would be a very, very small percentage of people who, who make it in the online field. Uh, mostly it's because they put a lot of effort in, in the background that no one will ever know. No one will know the, the, the 50 or so videos that I made before COVID thinking, Oh, this is the video or this is the video or this, this is my thing, you know, and it just took a lot of uh, trial and error. And, um, and then, you know, I found my way. Um, but yeah, so, so it, it was three or four years of preparation that got me to this point where um, I can handle the trolls and I can handle the media um, lying about me. And I can just handle a lot more than, than I would have been able to, had I not gone traveling and put myself into um, weird situations. So that's, 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 I think what gave me the strength. So when you got into this, did you have a lot of pushback from friends and family who were, uh, you know, nervous? <laughs> well, that's the other thing as well. I'm, I'm in a very odd situation where every single friend and family member I have was always on my side. So I, and that's part of the reason why I think I had the strength to do this as well is just, it's been really just easy with all my community. No one's been against me at all. And I've been able to just um, actually have a lot of a lot and a lot of support I lived in a commune situation where I was with a lot of family members like five of my nieces and nephews and my parents and my brother we all lived on the same property and that provided a lot of support and emotional stability for me um so no I don't have any of those stories of losing I mean I guess I lost acquaintances um and, and you know like people I used to work with 10 years ago or something but the people that mattered to me no that there was no pushback at all. <laughs> That's amazing because as you mentioned earlier on the left, I had people writing me private messages on social media and email saying, I agree with you, but I can't say anything. If I say something, these are the possible repercussions. And it's just like the gender debate. I was just like, well, if you can't say that women don't have penises, and if you can't say there is something incredibly immoral about locking down a healthy population 
where we're seeing nothing has been done for the grammy the grandparents that they're claiming to protect by the way then we we're in a pickle we're in a collective pickle here my worry is that your arrest your case was highly covered but you also got into deeper trouble by refusing the bell conditions. Tell us about the bell conditions, because this is what people there, you know, people are very apt to share your story and then forget about it. And they go on and they put more cereal in their bowl and eat and go to work and they forget about this. But yours shouldn't be just this feel good story about how someone beat the system. And you still have some charges pending, by the way. But I think this should be a warning that you get people to maybe not finish their morning cereal and to start writing their elected officials, if you catch me. Yeah, well, I mean, the bail conditions were um, basically, I was not able to speak speak against the COVID narrative, basically, uh, or, or against the COVID restrictions. So it was just really draconian and just something out of a communist book. Um, it was just crazy. Um, so obviously that's why I didn't sign them. And now they have dropped... Um, that's why I spent 22 days in jail to wait for the appeal right. and on appeal, mm -hmm. they actually, the Supreme court judge agreed that the conditions were ridiculous. And she took all of those ones away. She, she recognized that it was a breach of my human rights. So, and now, um, and then just in case your audience doesn't know, like in, I pled not guilty to the charges and then the police got a warrant out to force me to give them passwords to everything on my phone that they had seized during the, during the search warrant. Um, and they wanted access to all of my organization's admin accounts, the Google docs, Google drive, Google maps, signal, telegram, all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what they would have done with that information because there was some databases on there and some very private information from the public who email me thinking that it's private so obviously I wasn't able to give them that I refused to give it to them even though the punishment is up to five years in jail for not complying to that particular warrant um, and then a week later they dropped the warrant and they dropped the two incitement charges which was the criminal charges but you know it they can't just um you know abuse someone the way that they did with me I was on bail I've been I am still on bail actually which I shouldn't be it's ridiculous because there's no criminal anyway, but you know, on bail for eight months, total <laughs> massive stress for my, I know massive stress for my family. And for me, my relationships, everyone was always worried. I could get arrested at any, any moment. I was always worried. I could get arrested. Um, I used to come home, drive around the corner and just always wait to see like a group of police cars there. They used to come and visit my house, you know? So there's like an un unmeasurable amount of stress that came along with that. And now they're just like, oh yeah, we're going to drop the charges now. I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on those appeals and their, their excuse for dropping the charges is that it's no longer in the public interest. And I'm like, was it ever in the public interest? And I'm, I'm not, I'm not a clown show. This isn't, this isn't some show that you can just turn on and off. This is my life. And um, so I, I hope to make them accountable one day. <laughs> Oh, no, I hope you can, because that was actually my next question to you, because I read the statement, the director of public prosecutions has decided to discontinue the incitement charges on the basis that there is no longer a public interest in pursuing these matters, given the time Miss Smith has already spent in custody. What the hell? This is basically stating a foregone conclusion of theirs alone that you were guilty, where you have been denied due process. For the same reason, the S465AA order, password warrant, will not be enforced. This has to be corrected. Are you going to sue them? That's the plan. 
I actually still have to, there's three summary offences, which are only fines that I need to sort out first. Um, and I, I had so much financial contribution given to me that I have money left over. Um, and I'm going to use that to try and get my money back. And then if I can get all of that back, I can refund all the donators and also um, whatever money I can get in compensation, I'll just put back into my organization and keep fighting for human rights. So it will be a good day, oh. but it will take a while. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but I was wondering if there is a law in Australia that would hold the government responsible for what is effectively trial by media. Uh, they allowed this to go on. We know that media has been in bed with the government, not just there, around the world. This has been allowed to be put out there that you are some kind of outlaw. And when I say, are you going to sue them? I guess I really want to know, not even in a civil court, I would like to know that there's a process where you can say, uh-uh, you can drop the charges, but I want this still addressed. Is there any way that you have the right to say, no, they can't drop the charges. They made this, they put this out there in the public domain and they have to prove it. I, I look, I, I think I'm past that point, unfortunately, but I, I think I, you know, I wanted to go to trial because I wanted to, to make an example of what I've been through. Um, so I think the best way to make that example is to fight back myself and be on the, on the attack instead of the defense all the time. There is someone else here in Australia who also had their incitement charges dropped and he is trying to, he wants the charge to remain. He wants to fight it just like I did. If he's successful in keeping the charge, which I don't think this has ever happened. I don't think anyone would ever fight to keep a charge alive. Um, but if he, if he is successful, then perhaps there is something I can do, but you know, the law is not set up for us. So it's not set up for the little people to have their say and make their points, is it? So I, I, I think the chance of being able to retain the charge to fight it, I think is like not going to happen. Um, but, you know, I think I can air all of those grievances in a civil situation. Um, and I also, right. there's, you know, there's a human rights commissioner here. There's also a uh, independent body that oversees the police as well. And so I have complained to both of them. Um, in theory, they're supposed to properly investigate every complaint. So I hope that they take this seriously, but it's obviously very controversial. So they probably won't, but you know, it, we'll just try. It's controversial today, 2022. As yeah. every day proceeds, I see, and I'm not in this to win like you. There's so many times that I wish I had been wrong. I, you know, when people were saying to me, but last month you wrote this on Facebook and I'm thinking, well, yeah, because new information emerges and we would be stupid not to behave in accordance with the new information. And by information, I mean the actual science. Yeah. Science isn't just follow the science. Science is, I am capable of reading a peer-reviewed paper on this because peer-reviewed papers are written in such a way that the average Joe or Jane can read them. Often there's a preprint of them that puts it into legal or scientific ease where anyone can pretty much follow it mm. or s jump just to the conclusions. Conclusions, even in very technical scientific papers, tend to be easy to read. I'm just, that's general. We're seeing that those facts that I read out that Topher had just informed me about that I had no idea about 
798 deaths from COVID in the last eight weeks. Only two were unvaccinated. Unvaccinated meaning they did not have two or more. So of those two who died might have even had one. We yeah, don't know. That's right. Because that's not recorded. So now we're in this very wobbly world of, I even reached out to a human rights organization there that has advocated for your speech. But the reality is that even they, a lot of organizations are nervous about speaking out because no one wants to be the organization that looks like they're against lockdown. Yet earlier this year, in, at the end of winter, we were given news that Sweden's lockdown was not all the bad that the media had reported. Mm. So we're getting the news from, I mean, where do people get their news sources from? This is why I urge always our readers, our listeners, to read from a wide variety of news. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to say, oh, but that came from the Daily Mail, that came from the Australian, that came from the New York Times. Well, look, everyone seems to like the New York Times, except that the New York Times got a lot wrong about the Hunter Biden laptop. And the New York Times also got a lot wrong about everything related to Hillary Clinton's malfeasance in Libya, in Honduras. Uh, I could go on about that person, about the absconsion of $10 billion given to Haiti in the Earthquake Relief Fund, the Clinton yeah. Foundation. I don't have very many kind words for the Clintons because they are the power couple of death, in my opinion. Meanwhile, my government recently in the vote about Russia and Ukraine, there were dissensions in the Senate, 10, I believe, if not 12, all Republicans. So the party that's coming out as the pro-peace party, the non-interventionist party, even though it wasn't the majority of Republicans, the Republicans. And here you are, spent 22 days in solitary confinement. You had an invasive body search <laughs> for asking people to recognize that as Australians, they have the right to protest, something that I believe is your legal right to stay in their legal right to follow. You would think so. But, you know, uh, medical procedures, according to our constitution, should should not be coercive and all of the risks should be, um, you know, available for everyone to see. And that wasn't done either. Where are you in terms of your organization? You're setting up an organization, not only Reignite Democracy Australia, but Reignite World Freedom. And I believe that we need to be pushing all of our governments to be investigated, to have a thorough searching of the ministers who voted on lockdown and of all ministers' bank records, why has Big Pharma been given a green light such that I am told by my government that I'm going to get a fine if I don't get this jab? But if I go to get the jab today and they tell me, okay, but you have to sign this form first, I can legally say, no, I'm not signing that. You've told me I have to get the jab. I don't legally have the obligation to sign this paper, which disavows me of my rights to take this company, this big pharmaceutical company to court should I be injured. Where is your organization in terms of this Reignite World Freedom? And what are your goals with that? Well, Reignite, I'm actually wearing one of the one of the T-shirts. Um, anyway, it, look, the, the number one mission actually is, we, I don't think fighting against these governments is actually working at the moment. And I think the idea of being able to um, hold them all to account through some sort of uh, um, judicial pre, you know, situation, I think um, is, is not going to work either. 
so what, what we're doing is trying to replace them and just make them not, not important anymore. And what, when I, what, what I mean by that is we want to set up a, an alternative to the World Health Organization to start with. So with all the doctors like, you know, Peter McCullough, Robert Malone, Mike Eden, and there's many, many more, of course, that are speaking out. There's the World Council for Health that have thousands of doctors signed up. Why can't they be a new alternative to the World Health Organization or a competitor? The only reason why countries sign up to the World Health Organization is because it's the only one available and everyone else was doing it and they're connected to the United Nations. So it seems like the right thing to do. But now it's not the right thing to do because they're giving wrong information and they're forcing, they're being tyrannical and forcing countries to take in these jabs or take this medication or do this or do that. Who knows how much corruption has gone on between the WHO and the government officials and, and leaders of countries. And I think there are countries out there that hate the World Organization, but they have no other choice. So what if we offered them alternative? Um, it, all we need is one small country in Africa, maybe, who was against the, the WHO treaty, which I'm sure your audience know about, to say, yeah, I'm going to give this new committee a try. I'm going to give them a try. It would make international news. And then other countries would be like, hang on, there's an alternative, um, a, a, a health lobby or health committee that will actually give me correct information and not force things on me. Oh, sounds like a good deal. So that's kind of the mission of it but we're launching the platform with the global walkout which is um as you know there's the canadian truckies truckers and there's like the now there's the farmers in holland there's all these different great um initiatives but imagine if we all did something on the same day in the capital city of every country it would really send a clear message so that's like the launch event but in the background we're actually working with many organizations to try and bring other things to life so i i don't think the chance of having them may um you know having a what's the word um, where a government looks into things and um we can't think of the word right now, but to, to hold those government officials account accountable for making these decisions, I think the best way forward is actually just to progress without them and just find ways to look after our communities, look after ourselves. And so that no matter what they throw at us, we're like, well, whatever, who cares? I'm going to go and look after my veggie patch and, and feed my goats. Um, you know, I think that's where our power is actually going to come in is we have wasted, not wasted, sorry, we have used a lot of energy being reactive over the last two and a half years, posting every bad news article and like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. But now I'm teaching myself to look at a bad article and just be like, yeah, okay, well, we know what they're trying to do. So that, uh, that's fine. And I just continue on. And it's really given me a lot of peace of mind. And I hope that others can find that peace as well, because we can't actually physically, emotionally continue to fight the way that we have been over the last two and a half years. It's just not viable. So I think we need to look after ourselves, conserve our energy, energy for when it's needed and that's what um, I'm trying to teach the people here in Australia so we're really working hard on community projects like community gardens uh, you know um, how to buy produce directly from the farmer instead of going through the major outlets so we're working on those types of initiatives and it's going really really well it's a very positive message instead of being all fight 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 um, you know the term freedom lover a uh, freedom fighter um, I think that's had its time. I, I'm a freedom lover now. I'm sick of being referred to as a fighter because you know what? I'm just going to live my life, love as many people as I can, encourage others to do so. And I think that that will overrun the tyranny at some point. So that's our plan moving forward. <laughs> Thank you.